Today's scripture comes from the from um, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part nine. Nine of a series called In Union with Christ. And um, we started the series last fall. We did the first seven messages in the fall. And if you're interested in some of this stuff, and maybe you're like, whoa, you know, like it feels like we're jumping in midstream into a big topic. It's because we are. And so um, I would especially urge you to go to our YouTube channel or to our podcast and maybe listen to part five, six, and seven. Because we're in the portion of this series where we're really talking about how we are united to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let me just... Very briefly, last week when we came back into this series in part 8, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it talks about how to the mature we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, and that's all through the Holy Spirit. So that's what we talked about last week. And I took you back to this really important quote from John Calvin John Calvin, is, it's, he's really truly one of the greatest Bible readers of all time. And he pulls together some of this really, really profound theology that we are united to Jesus Christ. But he says this portion, if you, if you recall maybe from last week, all those who, even among those who believe 
that yet they do not indiscriminately embrace that union with Christ. That's the way he put it. Thus, reason compels us to seek, you know, higher, to seek higher this mysterious energy of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is himself the bond of union to Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are like, who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, I know there's a mysterious teaching called the Trinity. The Christians, we believe because the Bible teaches us, there's one God but three persons. And there's the Father, and then there's the Son who is Jesus, and the Jesus has sent forth the Holy Spirit, the third person who is no less God than the Father and the Son. And so the third person of the Godhead is our very bond of union to Jesus, and he brings him near to us. All right, so this is what we're talking about here. You are united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And in this portion of this series, we're really going to be talking about the work of the Holy Spirit bonding you to Jesus. One more piece of um, a review before we get into today's message, which is I gave you this piece of wisdom from last week, which is the Holy Spirit takes you to Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes you to Christ. You're like, so if you, you get some really weird word in your head, and then can't you just kind of fly off and be a crazy person and maybe start a cult, right? I've met, haven't we? Some people have done that, and the answer is yes. Some people think they get some message from Jesus, and they just kind of fly off, and they think the Holy Spirit has led them, and really they end up just being crazy or even heretical. And what I, and I gave you two truly important guidelines to help keep you from falling off the cliff, which is one, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit will always lead us according to the Bible. So it's always Word and Spirit together. That's how we know when Jesus is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. It's one tremendously important guideline. And the second guideline I gave you is that the Holy Spirit is alive in God's people, the church. So the people are filled with God's word who are united to Jesus. That when you say, hey, I think Jesus is saying something to me to the Holy Spirit. The other important check is to go to God's church, his people. And the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and know of God's word, they'll say to you like, that might be from Jesus. That is from Jesus. Or, no, that sounds crazy talk. Don't don't." I think you're wrong, right? So the humility of going to God's church is tremendously important for you to walk with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about today, okay? I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in God's people, the importance of the church for you to discern the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to you through the Holy Spirit so that's today's message, drinking of the Spirit through Christ's church. Drinking of the Spirit through Christ's church, okay? All right, that was kind of a, maybe a, not as brief as I'd like. Okay, so let's get into it. Part one, the Holy Spirit in the church, okay? Part one, the Holy Spirit in the church. Part two, Jesus, your head and Lord, 
through his church. There are many Christians today who go, I believe in Jesus, or I think I believe in Jesus. I have a, I have a thing with God, and then some people think they have a relationship with God and has nothing to do with Jesus. And by the way, I really want to just let you know, if you think you have a relationship with God and it's not through Jesus, according to the Bible, you don't have a relationship with God. I want to just say that to you just directly, okay? And any of you, if you think you have a relationship with God, and it is through Jesus, but it's not with the church, you're really misguided. I want to say that to you, okay? That's what we're getting at today. Jesus, your head and Lord through his church. And part three, your identity formation by Jesus through his spirit-led church. Today, so many people are, are uh, not sure, I don't know who I am. My identity, I, I don't know how to like figure out who I'm supposed to become. And I want to offer you the gospel through the promises of God through Jesus that are spilled out through his church. Okay? That's what I want to get to today. Identity formation by Jesus through his spirit-led church. So let's get into this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this passage often is used to teach you that who you are is you are a member of a body. That's the metaphor that the Bible teaches. And that you are a member of the body. So that means you are a finger. That means you're a hand. That means you're a neck. That means maybe, like I sometimes as I teach, you may be not very visible. You're one of these like shy people. I don't want anybody to see me. So you might be a pancreas, okay? Like, you know, nobody ever looks at anybody's pancreas. But... Very, very important, because if we take out your pancreas, you'll be in big trouble, okay? So the church has fingers and toes and necks and pancreases, and you're one of them. That's the, the teaching of the scriptures in this passage. I hope you were really paying attention when our brother read it. But I want to draw your attention to these first verses, verse 12. Let's get into this verse 12. For just as the body is one... And as many members, there's one body, many members, a lot of people. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, it, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slave or free, so it doesn't matter if you're of different ethnicities. If you grew up inside the church or you did not, or you're poor or you're rich or you have better status in society or not, none of that matters. But we were all baptized into one body and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's where I want to sit for a little bit. All were made to drink of one spirit. Um, many of you know that in order to become a Christian, First, you should believe in the gospel, which is to say that Jesus Christ has shed his blood to wash you of your sins and by grace redeem you and take you to God. If you believe that by faith, you have now stepped into your journey to become a Christian. What happens after that is you join the body of Christ and that joining of the body of Christ has a very specific act 
that, that, that's visible to all. That's baptism. So in baptism, there is a very visible symbol to say that you used to be outside of the body, but now you are part of the body. So if you believe in Jesus and haven't yet been baptized, you should be baptized, okay? If you do not know you believe in Jesus, I hope you will consider it. And then you're like, yes, I believe in Jesus. Your next step is to be baptized. I know a lot of people who come to faith in Jesus, they're unsure about this next step. It's tremendously important. It's kind of like, I think there are some people who want to date Jesus, but they're not sure if they really want to be united to Jesus. To be united to Jesus, you get baptized. Okay? And to be baptized is to say you will become one in the body of Christ, which is the church. Okay? So I want to just start here. If you are to really be, belong to Jesus, you will be in his church. You are baptized into his church. Salvation is never, ever, ever an individualistic event. It is not just you and Jesus. And now you're just going to walk along, me and Jesus. I'll just, you know, consult him every now and then when I, uh, when I want a little bit of advice or something. Or I want his powers. Usually that's kind of what we want. So we like turn, I, I have this, um, I have this terminology sometimes where I think a lot of Christians treat Jesus like he is a cosmic vending machine, right? You put in some religion quarters, and you want something to pop out of the, at the vending machine like a really good job. <laughs> or like, Jesus, I kind of need uh, um, a wife, <laughs> you know, because I'm lonely. So I'll pop in the religion quarters, and Jesus, you're the vending machine because, you know, you have supernatural powers. You're, you're Lord and God, right? Boom, can you pop out a wife? So a lot of us Christians... We tend to operate like this, and we, this is how we think of this one-to-one relationship with Jesus. It's very unholy. The way you are united to Jesus Christ is, yes, you are united to Him. You are in Him, and He is in you through the Holy Spirit. But it's not just you and Him and He and you. You are, you are united to His body, the church. And then He indwells the church, and His Spirit is put, spilled out into the church And here's what this passage says, that the whole church, all the members who belong to Jesus in the church were all made to drink of one spirit. What is the fundamental activity and reality of all those who believe in Jesus through the church? When we are in this church, you know what we're doing? I know you think we're here to do religion. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, we're going to get money, we're going to listen to a sermon, hope it's not boring, okay? You know, all those kinds of things, to our naked eyes, that's what Christianity looks like. The Bible says that the people gathered together in the name of Jesus called the church. And you know what's going on? They're drinking of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's what's going on. So the church, all together, this wild, strange thing, whether it's a lot of people or just a few people, you're gathered together with just a handful of people. You go to your small group that we in our church call GLF, Gospel Life Family, or maybe you're in your discipleship group, Life on Life Mission Discipleship, or maybe you're just having coffee with a couple of your brothers and sisters, or maybe you're just meeting up with some old friends who are not even inside a revived church, but they're believers in Christ. 
And when you get together, you're not just blowing smoke, just talking about whatever. You're like, we're brothers. We're going to talk, you know, when we talk to each other, we treat each other like brothers. And we're, we're the church. <laughs> we are members of the church. We always belong to Jesus. We've been baptized into his body. And when we get together, you know what we do? We drink of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is in us. And we drink of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit comes out, manifests out of us, and uses us, and we influence each other. We're drinking of the Holy Spirit through the church from each other. It is about as important as an activity as there can be in your life. In your life, you want to drink from God. You want to be connected to God and hearing his secret wisdom and thoughts. Who is Jesus, he's Lord of your life. And his secret wisdom and thoughts is always through his word and through his spirit. And where is the most obvious place where you get that? Through his people, the church who drink from the spirit and give of the spirit. Okay, you're following me? Now let me just show you a couple other places. Okay, you're like, that sounds really great. That's like just two verses, Pastor. Okay, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of places. So just, let's just do this quickly here, okay? So let me take you to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So it's just a, this is a, I, you know, I preached out of you 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Today we're out in chapter 12. Let's go back to chapter 3. Here's v- chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Listen to this. Do you not know that you, this is a plural you, not an individual you. You, you, Corinthian church, that's what he's saying. Do you know that you, the church, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What's the most important feature about the church? How many people there are, how much money there are, how great the preacher is, how great the band is, how nice their building is? No. All those things are not important about the church, at least not anywhere near as important as the Holy Spirit lives in the people. (laughs) That's what's important. So do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And listen to this. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you, you plural, are that temple. Now, it's kind of a scary passage because he's warning because there's some Corinthian Christians that are going around spewing stuff to do bad things and to cause problems to, that could destroy the church. And basically, he just puts, there's nothing, no bones about it. If you destroy the temple, God will destroy you. So you better stop this. So I'm not trying to be really scary here now. I don't know of anybody in our church that's acting like that. Okay, so you don't have to get scared. But... You should take God's church seriously always. Hmm. Always. So, because God does not take kindly to people who mess with his temple, where the Holy Spirit dwells in his people. We must always treat all other Christians as members of the temple. You and I are like bricks in the temple. You and I are members of his body. You, I mean, the, there's, there's a place where he says, like, he calls us his body and his building. <laughs> okay? So the Holy Spirit is in God's people. You start to destroy the church, his people, 
God never takes it kindly, okay? So let's just, that's one place. Let's go to uh, chapter 6. Well, let's just give you a little balance here. Um, you're like, okay, so the Holy Spirit is in the people. Like when we gather together in the church, that's special. Yes. Does that mean the Holy Spirit is in, in me like as an individual? The answer is yes. And I'll just show it to you, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's verse 17. Okay, the, the context, I'll just give you the context. The context is about sexual sin, actually. Because there are people who go into a temple, they sleep around with the temple prostitutes, and it's a very sexually filthy, uh, you know, time. You know, Corinth is just like 21st century America, okay? And um, so that's, this is the word he's saying, but that's the context. So verse 17. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. That means your body, your physical body, right? But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your body is actually the place where the Holy Spirit lives. So the warning is, don't be using your body for sexual wrong things. Um, the word for sexual immorality, there's one, the, the, we use this, the, this one trying to say sexual immorality I know, it sounds kind of like, right? There, it's, in Greek, they had an all-purpose word, and that is porneia. And that's where we get this word pornography or porn, right? Porneia is basically an all-purpose word for all things twisted and messed up sexual. So flee from porneia and says, every other sin, blah, blah, do you not know? And it says, the sexually immoral person. It's, that's not three words in Greek. It's the porneon. The, por, the person who is the porneon person. The porneon sins against your own body. So it's both. So that's just a bonus to talk about sexual sin today, okay? I wasn't, that's not the main topic of this day. But the main topic of the day is, yes, your body itself is where the Holy Spirit lives. And the Holy Spirit is the bond of union to Jesus. And the Lord Jesus will give you the thoughts, the secret and hidden wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in the people. And you should take yourself into God's people, the church. It's one of the most important things in your life, okay? All right. That's the, let's, that's, let's go to part two. Jesus, your head, and Lord, through his church. Jesus, your head, and Lord through his church. I want to take you into some applications about this reality and how you as a Christian who believes in Jesus should think about church and drinking from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to give you, let me take you to like one other passage. So you just see, it's just all over the place. It's crazy how important this is, all right? So this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean, I don't know if you can hit all of it. Let me, let me try to be quick here. Chapter 4, verse 1. So, I know it's a lot of passages. This is such a big idea. I want you to see it, okay? It's not Susan's opinion. It's the Bible, okay? 4, verse 1. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Let's just stop there for a moment. You want to know how you should approach church? Like that, okay? You should, what should you be your attitude toward church? You should come in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. You see, the assumption is you are with other people. The assumption is that when you walk in Christ, for Christ, with the Holy Spirit, there are all these other one another's. <laughs> and how you treat them and how you approach them and how you think about them and your heart's attitude toward them says something to you about how you understand. So the church is an ever-present understanding of how, how you should think about what it means to walk worthy in a worthy manner. Verse 3. You should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. See? Of the Holy Spirit. In the bond of peace. And here he goes again. Verse 4. There is one body. See, you're a member of the body, baptized into the body. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called into the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one Lord Jesus, one faith. You can't be a Buddhist and a Christian. You can't be like secular righteousness, and I'm going to love money more than Jesus, but, or let's just have both. No. It's all those people who are like, uh, you know, I love money, 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 money. I want Jesus. And I want Jesus to get me money, money, money called the, you know, we call it prosperity theology. No, that's like two faiths. No, there's one faith, the true Christian faith from the Bible through the gospel, from the Holy Spirit. One baptism, there we go again. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, I haven't, I've only preached to you a couple verses out of this incredible text. I want to take you now to chapter 12, verse 21 and 22. Let's start applying some of this, and I want to, I want to talk to this, because I think this is so important today. So in our passage today, verse 21 says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Let's talk about that. When the Bible says that you have been saved in Jesus, you are baptized into a body. You are a member of that body. So you're a finger, you're a toe, you're an eyebrow, you're a pancreas, something in the body of Christ. And then the metaphor in chapter 12 is this. If you're an eye, you can't say to the hand, hey, hand, I don't need you. You can't do that. Hey, the head looks up because like, I'm the head. You, yo, feet, I don't need you. You can't do that. But you know what's going on? <laughs> In the 21st century, I meet Christians all the time who act just like that. 
They act just like that. All the time, Christians, these are the Christians, the people who say they believe in God, they even believe in Jesus, they even believe in the Bible, they believe in the gospel, their, their attitude, and you see it, I mean, they don't actually say it out loud exactly because that would just be too rude. They don't go, I don't need anybody. I don't need the church. You know those people over there on the other side of the church? Don't need them. Other Christians, don't need them. Nobody says that exactly like that. But you know what? You can tell that their heart says that. You know why? Because that's how they act. <laughs> it used to be, when I was a young man, if you really loved Jesus, you just never miss church. You just go to church every Sunday. Like, period. Just, just block it off. It's as important as event as there is. Jesus is your God. He's your Savior. And it doesn't matter if you think church is like 80% of the time, boring as heck. You go and you honor him and you receive from him, period. Today, there's people who believe in Jesus and then they're like, yeah, once a month is good. <laughs> Twice a month is good. Now, okay, let's just stop for a moment. Some of you are going like, oh my gosh, the pastor is like totally calling me out. <laughs> like, don't look at me. <laughs> okay, I know some of you are doing that right now. I'm not looking at you, okay? I'm looking just over your head right now. So this is, it's a, it's a speaker's trick. I look over your head. It looks like I'm looking right at you, but I'm not, okay? Okay, look, look right into the camera. I'm not looking at you. I'm not like blaming you. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. So stop thinking that. Okay, so see, see, I know what you're thinking. So some of you are going, oh my gosh, I'm one of those people that's like weak sauce, and the pastor today is like calling me to the mat and telling me how much I suck, all right? I'm not, I'm not pick, picking on any of you, okay? I love you. I really do. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. But you pay me to do this, to tell you what the Bible teaches. You should come to church to drink from the Spirit, period. Church is offered to you at least once a week, at least of course, if you go to GLF and you're getting other offerings at church, which is good, at least once a week. And so I grew up, you know, my dad, we went to church early and left really late. And then if there was a dinner afterwards, and it was boring to me as heck, we went to that dinner. And then if there was a Bible study on Thursday night, we'd go. And then my dad would sometimes make me go to morning prayer which I didn't like, okay, because I don't like morning prayer, okay? But I felt like it was never bad to go, and I should go, and I need to go. And when I was in college, because I'm a college kid, nobody else is going. Half my dorm is hungover. They sure as heck are not going to wake up at 9 a.m. to go to church on Sunday morning. And Saturday night, I don't want to go, <laughs> But here's this thing saying inside of me, you better go. Because you need Jesus. Not because you're a good Christian. Not because, like, hey, don't be some weak sauce loser Christian who doesn't go to church. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I already am kind of a loser Christian. I should go because I need Christ. Okay? Let me say a few other things. Today, 
we are living in just a totally, I think, I'm going to just give you, I don't go around saying this too often, but like today is the day to say it, okay? I think we live in a horribly, just a totally cancerous, toxic culture. It's just toxic. Like you walking around and you're breathing in death. And, okay, you're like, okay, well, because people are greedy and they swear. Okay, 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 yeah, 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 okay. That's all just normal stuff. When I was a kid, people swore and, you know, they did sexual stuff and they were greedy and they were like, okay, all that stuff, okay. But I didn't think it was as toxic then when I was a, a boy as it is today. Today I think it's worse. It's more toxic. Here's why. Because when I was a young man and I was a boy, the non-Christians respected church. The non-Christians. The people who did not believe in Jesus thought, well, I don't go and I don't believe in that stuff, but church is good. We, we, all these buildings around our community, there's good stuff happening in there all the time. And they help the poor. I know AA meets them there. You know, drunkards are like, they're getting real help there. I know those people over there give food to the poor. I know that, that people need to cry when somebody dies. And they need God. I don't know if I believe in God, but they need that. Okay, and it's good. You know, all throughout our society, if you said that church was bad, God was bad, Christians were bad, people looked at you like you were, like, what is wrong with you? You are ugly and hateful. That's what it was like when I was a young man in America. Today, of course, you know that's not the way it is. One of the most obvious ways that I know that we live in a horribly toxic culture is that people hate, hate, and despise the temple of God himself, the church. So the one place, the one gathering, the people where people can drink from the Holy Spirit is despised. And I'll say something else. And here's the part that just really just, just gets me. Christians go with it. Christians are like that. Um, a few years ago, I went to a conference. I went to a conference. So me and there was like Frank and Joe and Young were at this conference. Thousands of people in this place. And they had this guy come up, and he was kind of a Christian comedian. And he started cracking a bunch of jokes about white evangelical church. And he just started mocking white evangelicals. There's like 4,000 people in this place. 98% of the room are white evangelicals. And they're like laughing their heads off while he mocked white Christians, the white American Christian church. And me, Frank, Joe, and Young are like, this is not funny. This is not funny. And I just cringed. I was like, how can we be in a room with 4,000 of our brothers and they think it's cool to mock the church, their own culture. I, I was really embarrassed that day. And I was going like, the spirit in this room right now is not holy. The spirit in this room is demonic. It's toxic. God loves his church, and I love the people in this room, and I'm not interested in mocking them, 
just because they're white. Like, that's ridiculous. That's, that's how America thinks about God's church. You're white Christians. We hate you. You're like the most hateful people, okay? That thing is just like blasted all the time in America. And I mean, let me just be really honest. I hate that message. I absolutely despise that message. It's toxic. It's evil, okay? And there's no way Christians should ever be like, let's go along with that. No. I am the first to say, let's admit it when the church is bad. The church should admit we are bad when we fail because that's what church is. It's failing sinners who come because we are saved, not because we're good, but because we're bad. Salvation is by grace. Hence, we can admit, man, we fell short. But we cannot go along when the church is mocked. No. Please, please don't accept that. Don't accept that. I don't usually get like too like pugnacious and ornery about this, but today we I need to tell you that is not of the Holy Spirit. Never. Ever. When you meet with the church, the the the, the true people of God want to exalt Christ and they love his people. Walk in a way worthy of his calling to what you've been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. You can never say, I don't need you. You can never say that. You can never think that. You can never have the attitude. Don't ever think that. We're, we are a majority not white church. Okay, this church will never think, white Christians, we don't need you. No. Heck no. Okay? They are in God's church. They are our family we will love them. We need them. The black church, yeah, we need them. Christians, we just need them. Okay? Our church is not interested in bagging on our brothers and sisters. Because the Holy Spirit, they're drinking of the Holy Spirit. We need to drink of the Holy Spirit with them. Yes? Hear me? Let me just say a couple other things. And this is going to be, some of you aren't going to like it. You're not going to like this. I, 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 I kind of, I didn't know I was going to do this last week, but I, I just kind of came out strong and told you, we're not going to gather together and stuff like that, and I'm going to stay live streamed. I told you to stop. Okay, I'm just going to say that again. You need to stop. You want to drink of the Holy Spirit? It doesn't happen through Zoom. It doesn't happen through YouTube. It doesn't happen through a podcast. It doesn't happen through live stream. It happens in person. You need your brothers and sisters. You, know, you, don't, you don't have the pancreas going, yo, head, yo, hand, I'll talk to you on the live stream. I'm not trying to mock it, but that's just not the reality. Your pancreas is here, connected to the body. The hand is connected to the neck. The head is connected to the feet. And there's no way you could say, I'll just kind of like pick up with you when it's convenient through the live stream. No. We cannot do this. We did this as a concession to a very extraordinary time. It's an extraordinary time. Extraordinary means not normal, completely out there, uh, exceptional time. Exceptional means we aren't going to do this when this time passes. This time is passing. We need to get back to the ordinary 
And this is the normal way that God says the body must be together. We drink of the Spirit together in person. Now, let me just say it one more way, and you're not going to like this either. You know, there's this thing called the mask. Let me say something to you. I hate the mask. <laughs> and I hate it from the get-go. Now, I don't dislike the mask because it's uncomfortable. I don't dislike the mask because I can't breathe. I don't dislike the mask for any of those kinds of reasons because it's inconvenient. That's not why I dislike the mask. I'll tell you the number one reason why I hate the mask. When you come together as God's people, when we come together as family, you must give your whole person to each other. If your face is doing this, you cannot give yourself to the other. Just, just, just think about this. In your own house, do you wear a mask? Are you going to go to your child and say, Honey, good night. I love you. Give me a good night kiss. Hold on. Put on the mask. And you're going to put your mask on to your child while you say, I love you? That's crazy talk. Of course you're not going to do that. Why? Because you are blocking and covering yourself from your loved one. And you know what you're doing? You're putting a barrier from the spirit who dwells in you to go out to the spirit who dwells in the other person you love so that the Holy Spirit can be drank from you through this thing that we call like covering our mask. It's theological. I say this to you in our, you know, greeting, you know, in, in, the, in the benediction. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you. Turn his face to you. You and I long for the face of God. <laughs> we long for the face of God. And how do you and I give our whole self and our spirit that is in us to each other? The number one way, the number one vehicle that you, way you give yourself to the other is right here, right here, through your face. If you give your, if you, I don't have to say anything to my daughter. If I look at her like this, she's scared. I don't have to like yell. I can just go like this to her face. And my spirit spilled out, and she knows that spirit is a mad spirit. Okay? I come to church, and I want to give you my face, and I want to give you Christ. And when I tell you I love you, I want you to see it in my face and know that it's real. It's absolutely real. And then when I say I love you, I hope you could feel that I have drank from the Spirit. And you can feel Jesus has said to you, He loves you. <laughs> that is the Spirit that must be in our church. Always. So, I know some of you are very skittish about the virus. I'm not going to judge you, okay? <laughs> but I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Let the Spirit come out from you and be given to others. And let us be patient, not judging, not condemning, but I do want to challenge you. 
Let me close today's message. Hope not too many people are angry with me, but let me close with a let me close with some encouragement. All throughout our life, you may not understand this. Who you are and your identity is in flux. It's up for grabs. And you know how you become you? Through the people you allow to influence you. You are always drinking from some spirit. Always. Some spirit is out there. It could be an angry spirit. It could be a racist spirit. It could be a, I love money, money, money. Money is everything. So you meet these people. You know people that are like that. Money, money, money. It's everything. You meet somebody and you're like, what grade did you get on the SAT? What was your score? My score was better. And they're giving you that superior spirit. So we're drinking from people's spirit all the time. But your person was intended, your identity was intended to be formed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And he comes through his church, through his people. And Jesus died to wash away our sin so he could give you this. And when he gives you himself through the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just say, it's, I'll just give it to you. I'm going to do it through him and him and her and her and them. And if you allow all these people to come into your life, the body of Christ, they have drank from the Spirit. My Spirit will come into you, and you will become glorious and beautiful the way Jesus intended you. That's the promise. Okay? And I want to just close by giving you um, uh, an example it helps. I know, like, I'm telling you this thing, and um, it helps to have examples. And I really want to urge you to think about your life as always inviting Christians into your life. Always. You should always invite the church into your heart. And by the church, I'm talking about other believers, people who drink from the Spirit. If you invite the people who drink from the Spirit of God because they're united to the death and resurrection of Christ, Jesus is their Lord. The Bible is supreme. And the Holy Spirit is in them. They've drank from the Holy Spirit. When you invite them into your life and into your heart, something absolutely profound is happening inside of you. Jesus Christ is reigning in you. And incredible things will happen in you. So let me give you an example, and then we'll close this. I'll tell you a couple stories, and we'll just close this message. My wife and I, we've been deeply impacted by a book that we read when we were young, and the book is called God Smuggler. And it's written by a guy named Brother Andrew. It's a little bit of an older book. And Brother Andrew, in the middle of the 20th century, there are all these countries that were communist. And these communist countries, it was illegal to do all kinds. The government owned everything, controlled everything, and you absolutely could not believe in God or Jesus or even have a Bible. And Brother Andrew was a Dutchman post-World War II, and he did not, he grew up in a very godly Christian family, but he himself was so not godly as a young man. He used to go to church and then, like, 
show up at church, sneak out the back when his mom wasn't looking, and come back and then pick up a couple things that the other men would take about the sermon and pretend like he was there so that he could basically deceitfully stand before his mom like he had been at church, but he always found ways to cut it. That's That's what this guy was like. But if you read the book, God Smuggler, what it is, is it's a story about a man who gets saved after living his life totally like, basically like an idiot when he was young, and turning into an absolutely heroic Christian. He ended up starting a ministry called Open Doors, and you may have heard of it. Open Doors is an utterly beautiful and unbelievable ministry. Open Doors supports the persecuted church. And it was started by one man work. But if you read his story, it's like he's never the hero. It's really interesting. How somebody could possibly become and do anything as wild as starting a movement that would stand up to communist tyranny and murderous oppressive evil through obedience to Christ How could such a man have been formed? And you know how it was formed? By his people. (laughs) So just let me just give you some examples. So, Brother Andrew was young. He wanted adventure. He joined the Dutch army. And the Dutch army was at war because their colonies, called the Dutch East Indies, wanted freedom. Today, the colonies are called Indonesia. So the Dutch, he was sent to Indonesia. Today it was called Indonesia, but back then they called the Dutch East Indies. And he fought to what they would call terrorists, but the natives would call freedom fighters. And you know what he basically ended up doing? He ended up doing what we would call war atrocities. Just shooting people. He'd just shoot people. And then at night... For his evils, he would get rip-roaring drunk to cover up, try to forget his horrible sins. And then he got shot in battle, and a bullet went right through his ankle, and he ended up in a hospital. And all the people who served him in the hospital, the closest ones were nuns. And you know what he saw? He saw a lot of broken, hurting, hateful, bitter, angry young men. And he was one of them. He felt like his life was over. He was a strong young man who thought he knew what he was doing with his life. He had already destroyed his life and now he felt like he was useless because now he was crippled. And he watched these nuns clean up after him, feed him, wash him with utter joy every day. And one day pulled one of the nuns and said, Sister Patrice, what is in you? And she said to him, Andy, you know. Because at the bottom of his bag, she had found the Bible that his mom had given him. She had pulled that Bible out and stood it right next to his bedside. And she said, the secret's right here. And that's when he finally started reading the Bible. Give me another example. He got a good job after he came back. He, started, he got saved. He gave his life to Jesus. He started pulling his life together. He had a good job. 
He was starting to get promoted in his job. He had a really pretty girlfriend who wanted him to have, like, you know, get a nice job and get that suburban lifestyle. But stirring inside of him was this something else. There's something else inside of me. And I think God has other things. He was always somebody who sought adventure. And having a good job at the local factory and making a good living for a pretty Christian woman that didn't seem quite enough. And the Lord started leading him to people. So he read this, he read this, um, this uh, brochure that said, come to like the world, the world is being made new. And it was a brochure from a communist country. I think it was Poland. And it was calling young people to talk about the new political you know, movement that was going to heal the world. And he knew that it was wicked. And when he looked at that brochure, he sensed that God was calling him to go and speak something else. And then there was a, this magazine, this Christian magazine. It was Dutch called Krok van Omhoek. Okay? That's my best Dutch, okay? It's bad, but it's close. On they, they use gutturals. I can't do those. And somehow it was like he sensed the Holy Spirit saying, share about you going there and what you've seen in Poland. So he had gone and so forth. And he needed money. He had no resources. He was a poor, he was a son of a blacksmith. He was poor. And he goes, and, you know, he wrote, this story he said nothing about money, zero zip zilch. And you know what started happening? Money just started, people read that and they just started sending him money. People who drink from the Spirit, they read something of Jesus and then they just start doing stuff of the Spirit. And then he got this letter from this guy named Carl de Graaf. And he said, we have been led by the Holy Spirit to contact you, and we don't quite know why, so would you come to our prayer group? So he doesn't know this. So it's like there's, it's a town called Amersfoort. He doesn't know them, but he's like, these people are a little strange. <laughs> like, I don't think they used this term Pentecostal back then, but I think these were like Pentecostal type people. And he's like, I don't really know these people, but... They listened to the Holy Spirit. I'm interested. So he got on his bike, went to Amersfoort, sat with them. And he found out that these are people who pray and they listen. And sometimes the Holy Spirit tells them to do strange things and they obey. They say, our brother who's in America needs our prayers tonight. Let's pray for him tonight. And they would pour out prayers for him. And he went, he went there and said, these guys are kind of weird. <laughs> and one day the leader of the group, his name is Carl de Graaf, showed up at his house. Remember, they live in different towns. Knocked on his door. Hey, Andy. His name is Andy. Andrew. Andy, come out. And he's like, for what? He's like, I have to teach you how to drive. He's poor. He does not have a car. He's like, for what? He's like, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know why. But we heard from the Holy Spirit, you have to learn to drive. So he said, I don't think I really need to do that. And basically, Carl DeGroff looked at him and says, don't you know yet that you're supposed to obey? So basically, get in the car, dude. 
and he taught him to drive. No car. Had no idea why he needs a driver's license. Then he comes back from his trip from Poland. He's talking to his next-door neighbor, who's a godly man named Philip Wetstra. Philip Wetstra saw him grow up as a little boy and knew the idiot Andy, who had no interest in Jesus and was a lying little sneak. Philip Wetstra knows that Andy, and now he knows this new born-again Andy. And he's like, and Andy had been sat in his living room and told him about the things Jesus wanted from him that he sensed the Holy Spirit was leading, and he's, the things he saw in communist Poland. And after this conversation was over, Philip Wester listened. He would pray, would encourage him. And then the next day, Philip Wester said, Yo, Andy, come on over. He's like, For what? He's like, You need to pick up your keys. The Westras were more successful than the poor, his family. And he says, we have this car. This car is your car. Don't argue with me. <laughs> it's for Jesus. And that's how a poor blacksmith started driving a brand new Volkswagen filled with Bibles into communist Eastern Europe. And a world-changing ministry was started. You should invite the church into your heart. You should go to church. You should go to GLF. You should have conversations where you've drank from the Spirit and spill out from the Spirit to your brothers and sisters. You should do that all the time. You should do that all the time. That should just be the normal thing of your life. You have no idea what Jesus will do in you, what he will do for you, what he'll do through you. Let's pray. Lord, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I should have given a shorter sermon. <laughs> but I pray that you would use these words and that I drank from your spirit your spirit went forth out of my mouth and from my face. And people, whether they are live stream or in person, received of your spirit. And when they received of your spirit, they were listening to you, Jesus. You, Jesus, who are not far off in the heavens, but you, Jesus, who is sitting right there, ever so close in our hearts, indwelling us because we are your temple. And as we meet into the larger temple called the church, your spirit will take us to the mind of our Savior, our King, our Lord, the one who is Lord over his kingdom, and his kingdom will never end and will break through all wickedness of the world and will destroy all toxicity because your spirit is spilling out through your people and changing us, shaping us to be beautiful like him. I pray that your people would hear this today. They would believe you. They would talk to you. They would hear from you through their brothers and sisters. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.